Lab Talk with Laura. Listen, I implore ya. Won't never bore ya. Lab Talk with Laura. Always more in store ya. Lab Talk with Laura. Welcome to the 14th episode of Lab Talk with Laura. My guests today are Dr. Elroy Aguiar um, and Dr. Scott Ducharme, both from the kinesiology department. Uh, Elroy is um, a senior postdoc research associate in the physical activity and health lab, originally from Newcastle, Australia. He got his PhD in human physiology from the University of Newcastle, Australia and he studies physical activity and exercise for the prevention and management of cardiometabolic diseases. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Okay, <laughs> such as diabetes and obesity. Uh, Scott is originally from Stafford Springs, Connecticut. He got his PhD in kinesiology right here at UMass Amherst, and he studies gait abilities, that's G-A-I-T, uh, gait abilities that relate to fall risk in older adults and how physical activity may be directly correlated. Yep. Thanks so much for joining me, Elroy and Scott. Thanks yeah, for having me. It's a pleasure us. to be here. Also joining us today is my co-host is comedian Rob Santos from Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, Rob has a show coming out. It's premiering uh, May 3rd at the Mark Twain House in Hartford. Yeah, yeah. In Hartford. Uh, yeah, so he has a new show coming out. It's called Beige on Both Sides. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us, Rob. For, I'm so underqualified <laughs> to be here because I was like, you guys look like grown men. And I was like, you guys don't look like students. <laughs> like, oh man, that's that's dope though. Much love to you guys, man. That's we're just like we're glorified students, really. <laughs> well, yeah, well, if you're perpetual students, well, aren't we all? Yeah, no matter what, right. we're always learning. But I need a. I want to be Dr. Rob Santos. <laughs> okay. I want to be. Um, I want to be. I, I'm, a, I'm a master in at yelling at white people at bars <laughs> while doing comedy. That's what I, my PhD is. In. <laughs> my friend wanted me to call myself the rock doc on the radio, oh. but I'm like, I don't have a doctorate yet, so I feel like that would be a little bit presumptuous of oh, me. That's hilarious, though. <laughs> um, okay. Oops. Yeah, soon. He said soon. I think so, too. Yeah, yeah soon. Don't, talk, yeah. Don't, yeah, don't put yourself down. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, we're going to start with Elroy. Uh, do you want to just go ahead and tell us about your research a little bit? Sure. So as you mentioned at the beginning there at the top of the show, my research is in physical activity and exercise for the prevention of cardiometabolic diseases, particularly type 2 diabetes. Uh, in Australia, at the University of Newcastle, I completed my PhD program in diabetes prevention research. And then the research we're doing here uh, at UMass is focused on physical activity measurement and how that relates to health outcomes and the intensity of activity. Okay, so how do you, like, what, how do you conduct these studies of physical activity? So the, the major project that we're working on right now in the lab, both Scott and I, um, is a study called Cadence Adults. It's a study funded by the National Institute of Health and the National Institute on Aging. And what we're essentially interested in is looking at the relationship or the, the dose response relationship between walking uh, at various uh, paces or speeds, I guess, and the intensity of that activity. The reason we're interested in that question is because physical activity guidelines or the way we communicate activity on a national level is uh, very difficult to communicate how much people should be doing and what intensities they should be doing. It's easy to measure those things in a lab setting. You know, we have very fancy equipment to measure intensity and heart rate 
and oxygen consumption and these measures that indicate how hard we're working but in the free living setting it's very difficult for individuals to monitor the intensity that they're working at mm. so we're working on a proxy measure of intensity that is called cadence the number of steps that you take in a minute okay um, and people can monitor that, that that themselves they can use their watch they can count the number of steps they take in a minute and our research so far has demonstrated that if you walk roughly at 100 steps per minute, you will achieve a moderate intensity, which is associated with um, positive health outcomes. If you walk roughly at 130 steps per minute, you can achieve a vigorous intensity, which is associated with a greater degree of health outcomes over time. So it's a much easier way to communicate to people how fast they need to be walking to achieve health benefits, um, because everybody understands what a step is. You put one foot in front of the other and you keep doing that multiple times and you're on your way, hmm. rather than tracking your heart rate or measuring your oxygen consumption, which are very complicated things for mm. the lay community to understand. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I um, I, so like you know these uh, Fitbits and Apple Watches. Yeah. Now you're talking about intensity of steps. That's like a whole different level of, um, of thinking about your 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 physical health. Um, because I've seen people lose weight off of you know walking and things like that. So in terms of like correlating that, because you say you have fancy, you know, fancy uh, equipment and all mm -hmm. that, but like I have an Apple Watch for some odd reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, but like, <laughs> do you think like technology, like like something that just a, an average consumer would be able to have type of um, get that type of information directly on a Fitbit on an Apple Watch, like the intensity of what they're doing, if if it isn't already happening already? Because I'm just curious about that. It is absolutely happening already. And so in our study right now, we're actually including a range of devices such as the Apple Watch and the Fitbit that you've mentioned, but also Garmin devices. These are all like consumer level devices. And then we have another set of research grade devices, um, which I won't bore you with the names of those off. No one will be oh, I, with I, them. I, I'm but, totally into this. I don't <laughs> like But essentially they all measure activity, intensity, and they measure steps. Oh. And so uh, we're, we're validating or checking the accuracy of those devices and their mm. ability to be able to, um, to prescribe the cadence intensity thresholds that we're interested in, in looking at. And so, yes, um, companies like Garmin right now mm. have indications of cadence or the steps per minute rate on the watch itself and so as you're walking you can look at the watch and it will tell you how many steps per minute that you're walking at oh okay because i you know i've seen steps and they can count flights and things like that yeah. based on the technology yeah. built in but now uh, one of the interesting things about most of these wearable devices is that the majority of them measure steps as, as well as other things. Some of them measure heart rate as well. Right. And steps is a good indication of the volume of activity that you might accumulate across a day. So that's one aspect of physical activity promotion, which we talk about in our area of research, mm. um, how much activity you accumulate across the day. But we're also interested in how intense the periods of walking are when you're actually walking. And so right. then we get at the concept of volume plus the intensity of the, vo of the exercise or walking bout mm -hmm. when we consider the steps over a period of time. Um, but that's, it sounds like next level data though. You know, yeah. like that's what that sounds I like. Think that's a good way to explain it. And so you could take uh, your Fitbit, for example, and you could look at over the course of the day, how many steps did you take? But you could also look at, okay, where are my steps now? And now I'm going to go walk for 30 minutes, and now where are my steps at? And that can get to the next level, like you're saying, and get at what's the intensity of, of activity. It's like, it sounds like to me, it sounds like walking with a purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's what, that's what it sounds that's like. That's, that's yeah. exactly Great true. Way to put it. Um, if you, I guess the, 
the more steps you accumulate in a period of time, the faster or the harder you have to have had walked during that period of time. So that's why it reflects intensity. Uh, and as I said before, roughly 100 steps a minute is equivalent to a moderate intensity walk. So that would translate if you went for a half an hour walk to roughly 3,000 steps. Um, uh, that's roughly the number that mm, you would be getting. That, that's crazy. That's, um, am that's, that's amazing. Wow. I'm curious, would you guys be making like apps for people to measure these kinds of things to interact with their Fitbits? Or I don't, I don't have a Fitbit or an Apple Watch. So I don't know beyond just like the steps per day. Do people look at like graphs of the intensity of their walking or anything like that? Or do so, you do that, Rob? I don't know. Well, yeah. I, well, for me, I don't mean to, like, for me, like, so, um, I don't know if you guys have Apple Watch. I mean, Apple Watch, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys, can I say JC and not get in trouble? Oh, I think that's okay. Okay, JC, uh, right? <laughs> and, like, but no, um, but no, I'm serious, it's like, if you take a look at, like, your Apple phone, any iPhone, if you take a look at even um, any smart, like, smartphone, doesn't matter, they typically, they have two different, they have a motion processor, at least with the, because uh, I, look, I, aside from being a comedian, I sell, I sling Apple phones at an Apple store. <laughs> That's what I do, like, uh, right? But the thing is they have two um, different chips that are in it. One is the processing chip, which is what really reflects on how your device runs the software that's on it, but they also have a motion processor on it. And that motion core processor is what allows them, your phone, to actually be able to read your steps and what flights that you're taking as well. And also it's able to, if you laid it down next to you, you also be able to um, read your sleep patterns as well. So it'll also mm. be able to get that type of, um, you know, those, that type of data. So mm. it's already there. You know, you may not know you have it. You don't, like the Apple Watches or the Fitbits just give you a little bit more accurate reading, though. Mm. What's interesting that you mentioned there, the, the core p component of equipment is called an accelerometer ah. that is in included in your Apple Watch and your iPhone, mm. but is also included in the research-grade devices that we use to measure physical activity as mm. well. Ah. And so that accelerometer technology is kind of spread across all of the devices, Fitbits and Garmin's, Apple Watches, mm -hmm. uh, even your phone. And it's just a, a different way sometimes of processing the data to be able to produce estimates of steps or cadence or activity counts or intensity that each of the companies kind of has this proprietary algorithm that they use to estimate that activity level. Yeah, no, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's crazy the way technology is going. So wait, so I, I, uh, I feel like I asked this question and then I redirected it. But oh, so, do you, would you guys create an app to help people measure that for themselves, or is that something that's already built in and you would just show them how to use that? Or so we haven't specifically talked about developing an app okay. at this stage. Yeah. Where we're in the initial process of creating or creating a calibration study or mm. validating these thresholds that we are interested in, um, basically placing as a, a signpost. You know, when you reach this level of steps a minute you reach this intensity sure the next step is actually to um, to approach companies maybe and ask them would they be interested in in including these kind of metrics into their devices already mm -hmm. it's difficult for us as a research lab to develop an app that would have you know global or national appeal uh. you know but rather than you know approaching a company who already has an established user base and saying this is an evidence-based recommendation that we can make for intensity of walking, and then we would see if we could get them to incorporate that information. Yeah. Um, because really, they have the technology to do what w what we are trying to promote very quickly, very yeah. easily. Yeah, nice. Is there um, an age group that you're targeting, or are you looking at across all ages? So the study we have funded right now is for 21 to 85-year-olds, so okay. we're looking at this uh, cadence and intensity relationship across the lifespan. 
And so far we've actually collected data on 21 to 60 year olds and we're okay. about to start the 60 to 85 year old cohort in June this year. And we, we actually t uh, test 10 men and 10 women per five year age group. Okay. So we have a sex and age balance sample from 21 to 85 year olds. And our primary investi investigator for the study, I should have mentioned this earlier, her name is Professor Katrine Tudor-Locke. Uh, she's the Associate Dean of Research Administration in the School of Public Health and Health Sciences. She actually was funded from the NIH to conduct a very similar study in children from six to 20 years old uh. when she was previously at Pennington Biomedical Research Institute in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Okay. And she was then awarded uh, another grant to do the, stu the adult study, which we're currently doing at UMass here. Okay, so, so you have kind of a rubric from that younger age group of, of how to move forward with the... Correct, And yeah. then you've expanded it into... In an, into adults. Most and people. <laughs> eventually, we will have data from 6 to 85-year-olds, which will be a huge data set, and, and we'll be able to provide recommendations that will vary based on age group and sex, which is a very important uh, distinction to make. Hmm. Wow. Have, wow. I'm curious about the difference between um, sexes. Is there like, is it a prominent difference, or does it change as you get older, or is that is it like a little bit before you haven't quite gotten there yet? So yeah, we haven't actually tested our older adults group yet, so okay. we're we're unsure how these cadence intensity or the cadence intensity relationship may actually change in the older group. Mm. What we found in the younger group, from 21 to 40, and from 41 to 60, is that the cut points that we use, like 100 steps per minute that I mentioned before associated with moderate intensity, that's very consistent across both the younger group, 21 to 40, and the middle age group from 41 to 60. Oh. Um, what does tend to differ between males and females, maybe like typically the height of the person, which corresponds mostly to the leg length of that individual, oh. that can actually influence the cadence intensity relationship uh, with shorter people having to essentially do more steps per minute to achieve the same intensity roughly. Hmm. So just one more way life is harder when you're shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Oh, man. I, see, I, I, I'm just thinking silly things. Do you guys wear lab coats when you do this? Like, for real? Like, <laughs> I'm just, no, you don't? Oh, really? So it's not like what we think? Is you guys, you guys just dressed <laughs> yeah. like the way you guys are yeah, now? Yeah, our lab's pretty chill. Yeah? Oh, that's what's up. No, no dangerous chemicals or yeah. anything that you need to protect yourself from. There's a little bit of sweat here and there. But that's <laughs> right. It's not too bad. <laughs> no, because I've never, like, been in, like, oh, like in front of, um, like, with doctors that, like, do this type of, like, do research in general. So I'm always mm -hmm. curious about... Like, how do you get the people to, to be on board, you know? Um, uh, and then, like, the differences between, like, so when you get them on board, how are they conducted? You know, those are the things that I've, I've never understood because, you know, researchers say this, and, you know, you read all the stories about it. I always wonder, well, how, they, how do they ring the people in, and what are they actually doing, and how does everybody look, and is everybody cool with each other? Do you know their names? <laughs> is everyone anonymous? Like, like, that to me is what I'm always interested in because, yeah. like, I, I find it, I, I'm curious about, that ideal of, of getting these those types of people in there and, and and do you conduct these particular studies not just based off of gender right gender age I wonder like race like things like that mm -hmm. you also do that as well right mm -hmm. that's interesting so we do collect some of that information as part of our recruiting um, strategy and we try to include uh, racial and ethnic minorities in our sample so that we can get some indication of how those factors might influence the question that we might be trying to address. Mm -hmm. In our specific instance, um, race and ethnicity probably doesn't play much of a role in 
like a physiological response to walking and intensity. Right. But mm -hmm. certainly things like uh, sex, as we mentioned before, and mm -hmm. height may play a role and age, uh, which we're going to find out in the next cohort, uh, it, the age question in particular. Okay. Um, but in terms of recruiting people into the study, we advertise through local community groups, we advertise on campus, we go to senior citizen centers and we talk to those people, we recruit through doctor's surgeries, um, and you know sometimes we might have a, a newspaper article or a radio interview, like right now <laughs> we could be recruiting for our study. Um, and so then people would call up, we would go through some screening information with them to check if they're eligible for our study. Oh, if they okay. do meet our inclusion criteria, which are mainly, you know, you don't have any major cardiovascular diseases that would put you at risk when you're exercising or you don't have any mobility limitations, which would limit your ability to walk on a treadmill or overground. Um, those sorts of things would mm. mean you would not be suitable for our study. But if, if you don't have those things, then you would be eligible. You'd come in, we'd take measurements of your height and your weight, your body composition, and then we get you to do all of these walking activities, which includes um, some simple activities of day living that would involve some stepping, so mm -hmm. like uh, things like vacuuming and walking around the room, walking in the hallway, and then also some treadmill activities. Do you, do you get people to vacuum your lab? We absolutely do. Get really? Them to vacuum our lab. <laughs> I would feel like you were messing with me it's, if I came we, into a lab and you were like, yeah, what we really we, need you to do is we vacuum. We quite possibly have, so we've tested 160 <laughs> people so far, and we quite possibly have the cleanest patch of 10 by 10 foot carpet that anybody's ever seen. Wow, that's hilarious. Oh, man, that's so funny. But also, uh, in terms of how we get certain people in, not certain people, how we get everyone in, but one thing that, that, uh, motivates people as we do have monetary compensation um, yeah which okay not everybody is as uh, motivated um, as others but it, it does help um, yeah so you, you pay know. people to vacuum we help yeah we do provide <laughs> some type of help for that yeah, yeah. 20 bucks clean that part of the floor yeah. right there <laughs> yeah, oh, that's, oh that's even funnier so now you're advertising for this what was it 65 to 85 60 to 85 60 to 85 so if, you, if you're 60 to 85 do they go to your lab website or yeah, so we have a, we have flyers, and we I can give them a number. Um, okay, they can to call? Up, yeah, they can call. Okay, yeah, sure. You got to yell into the mic because if they're 60 to 85. No, that's a bad <laughs> stereotype. So I was just thinking of another bad stereotype. I'm sorry, I got stereotypes all over my head, but no, okay. I'm sorry. It's just so funny yeah. to me. This is so cool. I yeah. feel, I, like, this is, I was listening to the last one, Laura, and I'm like, this is just so cool. I, I, I always find what everyone else, like, being at an Apple store, I always ask people what they do. You know, I was talking to this one gentleman who actually, you know, he, he works, he digs stuff up, and he found some pretty good fossils in Massachusetts. So, like, hearing what you guys are doing, I think this is so, this is so dope. I mean, like, and how, wait, like how long are you guys going to be doing the study for, if you don't mind me asking, before you, you know, give them the number and everything like that? So, our study has been running for t almost two years or two and a half years now, I think. Um, maybe almost three years. Yeah. I, I joined the team in two, August 2000, and, uh, sorry, in January 2016. And the study officially started in August 2015. Okay. Um, so what's the number people should call if they want to participate? So our lab number is 413-545-1583. Okay. And we might even see if we can put a flyer or some information on the website. Um, later on, we can send you information. Cool. Included on the website somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. 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 Thank you approaches to the, to setting this problem or uh, I would say that at least in terms of our position now we're studying the same thing okay um, we, we come from different backgrounds you know I'm, I'm more of a motor control biomechanics background um, whereas well I already, already kind of told you where he was coming from from more of a physiologic background okay um, 
but it all comes together pretty well, I think. And that's what's so great about kinesiology is that it's an umbrella term for a lot of different things, but that um, they all really overlap quite a bit. So you come from a motor control background. Do you want to explain what that is for um, <laughs> those yeah, of us so who don't study kinesiology? I was, I was just yeah. going to ask that too, for <laughs> yeah. sure. When I go on the when I go on the job search, I, I get a lot of um, like car based automobile. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're like not that kind That's of. Not quite what I know how to do. But motor control is kind of just generally put. It's the it's how the the nervous system is able to coordinate and, and make motion. So how are we able mm. to stand? How are we able to sit? Um, we need you know our nervous system to send those signals and. And our and our um, cutaneous, all, basically all the different receptors in our in our fingertips and in our joints to be able to give us the information so we know where we are in space mm-hmm. and so we can um, you know activate the right muscles. And so um, the background that I come from for my my PhD was uh, looking at gait stability, gait adaptability. So basically, just having people walk either over ground or on a treadmill and see how people are able to adapt to the environment. So if they have mm. to step onto a curb, if they have to, if they're walking in they get bumped by another person, like how well are they able to respond? Wow. Um, and ultimately what I'm trying to get at is if we can um, understand how um, the likelihood of someone uh, falling in the future, because hmm. falls are a big problem in our, <laughs> in our country and in the world, especially wow. with older adults. I'm curious, so you would like study, would you put like sensors on someone's body and study how each like part of their body is moving? Or, yeah, exactly. And then you would give them like like a percentage score, like you're going to fall <laughs> within the next 12 wow. months this many times or not? That's kind of like where that. I want to go with it. Yeah. Okay. But, um, yeah. So in terms of the sensors, yeah. So we do, we call kinematics, which is these cameras, these infrared cameras that pick up. We have um, like little balls basically that we put on different joints or different areas of the body and, and we use those as um, indicators of, of bony landmarks so we can have one on the knee <laughs> and we can have one on the hip and say okay the line between them is the femur yeah. and then as people are walking you can look at the coordination of things um, and yeah so I haven't quite gotten to that point of being able to say okay you're at like 80% chance of falling uh-huh. in the future versus you know whatever 200% but that's that's ultimately where we want to get it to. Bony landmarks is a a term that stood out for me. I'm just thinking about how much I fell down the stairs as a child (laughs) and and how my parents probably would have appreciated some sort of intervention to help me do that less. I don't know. But, like, because it's funny, when you think about it, like, having a sense of balance, like, you know, obviously that, like, if you look at athletes, you would think that they would probably be at the upper tier of having that sense of balance and coordination because of one, the way they train their body and the way they train their muscles. Yeah. So how much of that is muscle memory th- th- than anything else, you know? Um, yeah, so and I think a, probably a better term would be motor memory. Because sometimes memory. people say mm. muscle memory and the thought is, and not th- sometimes the thought is that there's like the muscle is remembering what's happening, but really it's all in our nervous system. Right. And mm. like you said, the way you train, if you train a certain way where you're improving balance, then what we're doing by improving balance is basically learning through trial and error or maybe different methods how like which which muscles to activate at, at which time so like if you just fire the front of your of your leg muscle you're going to kick but if you fire the back then you're going to you know bring your leg back so you have to figure out when and how strongly to fire each of those uh, or all the different muscles we have like 200 and something muscles in our body so um yeah mm-hmm. so by through training you get to really um experiment with how we're able to balance and then yeah athletes are definitely at the top of that yeah, wow, that's, that's wow, that's super interesting. Because I find myself, I always consider myself as at a very ten percent chance of falling. Because you know, like, because like if I'm on ice, I, I, yeah. I find a way to get myself. I don't know why. I just see myself. Like, how come I don't be falling like that? I shouldn't yeah. be jinxing myself. But then I've always wondered and questioned about that because it's like, do I ha- like I think to myself, well, someone who doesn't necessarily exercise as much as I should, 
But then I find myself, like, when I'm about to, you know, fall or let's say something happens and my muscle reactions go really quickly, I wonder, like, how, how that takes place all the time. Like, what is it that I am just have this, this heightened sense of awareness that something like that is happening quickly and I'm able to catch myself. But with you guys getting this type of, like I said, this, you know, this new upgraded data, right? Like, how is that? Like, I, I, I'm just curious about that, like, for myself, someone who's probably, like, not as athletic as I should be, but still have this really heightened state of awareness and not and just be able to catch myself every single time. Like, what what would you think about that? Well, I think there's no quick answer for that because it's very multifactorial in terms of how are you able to slip on ice and and not fall, whereas someone else would fall. Yeah, it could be have to do with your cognitive abilities. It could have to do with just um, mm. the different parts of your body that are not d in decline, like with aging or with neurological disease. Mm -hmm. um, but one thing that I uh, did find with my dissertation work was that I had older adults, but I had active older adults, so they, they were self-reported as doing at least 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity, which is kind of the, the national guideline of what we hope people do at minimum. Right. And they performed almost the same as my young adults. So uh -uh. being young is good. Mm -hmm. Being young and active is even better. Right. If you're older, if you're active, you may be able to uh, attenuate some of those those declines that we see otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so did you find that people self-reported accurately? <laughs> I'm it curious really, about that. It, yeah, because actually <laughs> we had them self-report and we also had them wear uh, an accelerometer for one week, so that's what we oh, call objective So monitoring. that was your like measurement of if they yeah. were telling the truth or not. But they knew they were wearing it too, so they could have like stepped up their game a little bit. <laughs> and that, that is a problem. That's an issue with, with having people wear monitors and yeah. it's like the uh, the lab effector, I think that's what it's called, but where uh -huh. people say just act the way you normally do yeah. and then they come back having they <laughs> ran six times in a week and you're like, you don't run six times. Yeah, I mean, I would probably never give up if you get up if you, you know, did that to me. No, I find it interesting, uh, essentially, about I am. I come from a background from, um, from like, just being a performer in general. I find myself, like, when I get on stage, I get on this heightened sense of awareness where I lose, like, where I'm at. I'm so in the moment. And a lot of that is just, you know, natural ability, but also has to do with, like, mindfulness. I practice mindfulness uh, on the regulars, just especially like just consistently being in the moment, like here, like being in the moment, listening to you, looking at you guys in the eyes. And um, but when I really think about like how mindfulness, how our mind is so strong, does like now, do you guys perform research as well when it comes to the mind, or is it just strictly just physical and, and physiology and things like that? Like, or is it you incorporate por portions of the mind because? The brain is super strong, but people people don't really realize, you know. Mm -hmm. So, like, how, like how does that affect or correlate into your work as well? I would say that um, with our work, we don't really get into that aspect of it, mm -hmm. and probably the biggest reason being that, well, you know, it, it doesn't. It's it's so difficult to try to get everything, and so yeah, yeah. there's a lot that comes to mindfulness or even just. You know, something we don't we don't take into account is emotion. You know, are you bored? Are you excited while we're having you do whatever the activity mm. is? Right. Um, that will have an effect on things to some extent. I I guess I don't know for sure, but I think they probably would have some ex uh, some uh, effect on it. But it's just not possible to collect all that data. And you know, and I think there are um, studies out there doing things along those lines. I did a little bit of work with something called attentional focus, which has to do with basically. Um, while you're performing an activity, what you are thinking about, what you're focusing your attention on, has an effect on how well you perform the activity. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're trying to hit a golf ball, focus on the golf ball, but don't focus on what your arms are doing because that's gonna it's gonna mess you oh. up. Uh, but for our research in in uh, Dr. Tudor Locke's lab, we don't really get into, um, uh, yeah, mindfulness or emotion or um, mm -hmm. any of those other probably more psych department type things, right. which are important 
Certainly. Yeah. yeah, I was just, yeah definitely was just curious because I'm, I find it I, I find that the the mind is the basis for so much of obviously what we do. I mean, um, you guys might agree, but I really I feel like if if you think it, you can do it. You know, like it's it's just is that strong. Obviously, you know, physical you know restraints can happen over years, deterioration, things like that. But I, I still like the building that muscle and, and allowing it to work hand in hand. I, I was just curious to see how that would go about with your research. But it sounds like you guys are doing some dope stuff, regardless. Mm-hmm. For real. You're listening to Lab Talk with Laura on 91.1 FM WMUA Amherst. My guests today are Dr. Elroy Aguiar and Dr. Scott Ducharme from the Physical Activity and Health Lab in the Department of Kinesiology. Joining as my co-host today is comedian Rob Santos from Hartford. Let's jump right back into it. One other thing I, we're doing with our lab, which I think is fun, was we were talking <laughs> about how do you get people to, um, if we, we're, we're trying to establish this 100 steps per minute or, or whatever the threshold is to get to moderate intensity and say, well, how do I get to that? You know, you've got a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and you can look at steps. But the other thing we're trying to, um, we're looking into is having people match their timing of their foot strikes or their stepping to a metronome or music. Oh. So we've had a few studies uh, going on. Well, actually, we've completed, completed two studies, and we've got another one going. But um, in the first one, we had people just match to a metronome. So it's just click, 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 and every time it clicked, you put your foot down. Oh. And uh, what happens when you tell people to walk and match their foot strikes, they're, they're, they take bigger steps as the, as the metronome goes faster. So you can t- basically oh. set it at about 100 beats per minute so that people are walking at 100 steps per minute, and then they, their steps, step lengths are longer, so they walk at a pace that uh, correlates roughly to moderate intensity. Huh. And then if you don't want to hear a, a metronome for 30 minutes straight, we also have done it with music and just following the beat of music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you could just throw that in your headphones and, and match it and walk for 30 minutes, and you know you're at a moderate intensity. Do you have, like, a playlist, maybe, <laughs> or actually, song suggestions? We, right now, because we're trying to do uh, sort of the scientific perspective, I guess, is um, we have the same song that we've manipulated the beat of. So uh-huh. we have Staying Alive. Uh-huh. And, uh, we have right. A, that's like the one. I've heard that one for, what's it called? Uh when you, do, CPR when you do CPR, they tell you to use that one, which is like, there's this like added level of irony. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so the interesting thing is that song, I think it might be like 101 or 102 beats a minute. So uh-huh. it's actually very close to the recommendation we're, we're trying to put out for 100 steps per minute being equivalent to moderate intensity. So if everybody was walking around just singing Staying Alive, in their own head, they'd probably be close <laughs> to a moderate intensity walk. And avoiding type 2 diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Essentially what we do is we reduce the tempo to make the people walk slower. Oh. Or we make the tempo, so maybe 80 beats per minute. Yeah. Uh, so we make it slower. Or we pe- put it the same song to 125 beats per oh. minute and we make them walk faster. Yeah. And so we're able to modulate and manipulate how fast people will walk by changing the beats per minute of the music, mm. uh, which is a really interesting and novel way of um, manipulating how fast people would walk. Yeah. Could we get, I would like it if we could get an updated song, honestly, <laughs> like Cardi B, maybe? She just played at UMass. <laughs> oh, <we're, laughs> well, they say disco's dead. So that's, that's, oh, man. That's cool. We're bringing it back. Yeah. There's, there's all kinds of wordplay going on. Yeah. Disco's dead, but we're staying alive. We're sta- yeah, exactly. <laughs> I tell you what, when I hear that song, because I actually like that song, I feel the temple i feel like it makes me want to get up and do stuff you know mm. like like just like with um what was it travolta he started strutting <laughs> i mean it legitimately makes you feel that way so how like that connection with with music does that how, how does that play an effect to your research well that's the reason we picked one song and manipulated the tempo because uh. if we gave you uh you know staying alive and then we gave you um 
James Taylor, you're probably gonna have different emotional response to that. Maybe you're not gonna be as hyped up, depending. Mm. Well, depending on how much you like James Taylor, I guess. Right. <laughs> we love James Taylor. We love James. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but songs have a different uh, effect on on how you d emotionally. So, yeah. in order to avoid that as a confounder, we said let's just take the same song and change the beat and see how that how people have an effect on it. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so preoccupied with the idea of apps for all of this, but mm. maybe just because it's a good way to deliver things to people. Mm -hmm. But right. it'd be cool if you could have like an app to put your favorite song in and get it to adjust to the right tempo. Right, like make it into a hundred. Do you have so that? There's a there's a there's an app out there. I think it's about six dollars. It's called uh, Tempo Magic. Oh. Tempo Magic, I believe. But that's the that's the one that we used for this one. Oh, nice. And so you can pretty much put in any song. And the, what's nice about it is it doesn't it doesn't um, contor uh, distort, distort the sound so that it, you know it doesn't sound like the song the original yeah. song at all. Um, so it's definitely, uh, if you were into that sort of thing, then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm curious now what all the beats per minute are of the songs that I listen to. And I think yeah. it, at some point, at least, Spotify had a, a feature on their um, playlist where you could select a playlist that had a certain beats per minute oh, range. Wow. And you could use that to focus on how fast you would run. Um, because we all know, you know, when you're going for a run somewhere and a good song comes on, it's like uh, emotionally it just picks you up and you and you start to synchronize your footsteps with the beat of the music. And that's essentially what we're trying to do in yeah. this research project. I actually, I don't listen to music when I run because I haven't perfected the playlist making. <laughs> so that's a good tip for me. Mm. I just like, I just like meditate and look at the trees when I run. But one time I was running on Mount Tom. And I normally don't like interacting with cars when I'm running, but this group of people, they just like pulled up next to me and started blasting Eye of the Tiger out of their car yeah. while I was running just next to me. And that was actually really nice. It definitely did, pumped did me you up. Put, put your hands up? Yeah. I well, I was I started doing like the running and punching thing. You know, if you're not in the studio, you can't see me, but I'm, punch, I'm air, punching the air right now. That's, <laughs> that's, that's funny. Oh, man. It was a beautiful moment that I had with those four strangers in no, their Jeep. No. Because I'm looking up tempo, right? At, at like tempo magic. So yeah, six yeah. bucks. Okay. And then like people suck. Um, <laughs> like uh, Mur like Mur Muri twelve says flaky as hell. But then oh, but the app isn't good. Yeah, it's got bad reviews. Yeah, like but it's like it gets. Then they say this app is so awesome, except when it's playing music. It's not supposed to be playing. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. I don't know. It's just people are just weird, man. It's so subjective. But other people have said some good stuff. The rating, the rating is pretty solid. It's gotten um, about three and a half. Yeah, about three and a half out of four. Yeah. Did, did yeah, your lab yeah, put in a review? I don't think we did. <laughs> but to be fair, I don't. We tried a few songs because we were trying to. find It's really hard to find a song that doesn't go into a slow bridge or uh, it has. Right. Uh, yeah. I think it's syncopation is the word where it's just like all kinds of different sounds going. Uh -huh. um, so we didn't actually hear. We went through a few songs, but um, I I can't speak to all the different types of yeah. songs. It might not be so good with certain so, genres. So there's yeah. there's there's a whole lot of factors that have. Yeah come together to make staying alive the, like, mm. the anthem the perfect. <laughs> yeah. for, for fitness. Right. All right, so when you finish all this research, how, how, what's the, the timetable for all this to be over? And what, and what do you expect to come from your findings? So as I said before, we're about to start our final cohort of data collection mm -hmm. in 60 to 85 year olds. And that might take us somewhere between six and nine months, depending on how well we go with recruitment to finish the testing. Um, each person has to come in for one or two visits and they you know, do some various activities, measurements, etc. So we might test roughly three or four people per week for the next nine months um, in our lab. We have a, a fairly large team 
of you know, five or six of us now who will be doing the testing and evaluating people as they come in. Uh, and then as I mentioned before, collecting the data is one thing, but then we have an enormous amount of data that we have to then process and manipulate and analyze. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes um, some time as well. And so we might you know, have a couple of months where we would just be organizing all the data and putting it in the format we want. And then we have to write the papers and writing academic papers is not always the fastest process. And so, you know, you write the paper, you submit it to a journal and may get accepted or rejected. You get comments and it goes back and forth. Um, so we would anticipate that we might have roughly two years left on our grant. Um, and hopefully all of our data will be published by then. But there'll also be more questions that will come up along the way that we can use the same data for to publish for the next um, maybe five years even after this because we've got quite a lot of information that we can publish from. The ultimate goal for our research is to be able to make physical activity recommendations in step-based metrics. So we want to be able to tell people how many steps per day they should walk and how fast they should walk when they are actually um, doing bouts of walking. As I mentioned before, right now public health guidelines from the American government tell people to do things like 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity. But if you ask someone on the street um, what is moderate to vigorous physical activity, even if you ask some researchers, they may not be able to answer that question very clearly because there are different definitions of moderate and vigorous physical activity. So it's a little bit complicated and confusing. In contrast, what we're trying to promote is very simple. Walk 100 steps a minute, that's moderate. Um, walk 130 steps a minute, that's vigorous. And both the research community, the clinician community, and the general public understand that message. So we're hoping in a long run that we would be able to include um, physical activity guidelines that include step-based recommendations for steps per day, and also the cadence or steps per minute that people should be walking at. Mm. And I, I think we're already starting to see a little bit of a shift too, because the, um, there, were, there were physical activity guidelines from 2008 that had um, not a lot of discussion of steps, but the most recent 2018 guidelines um, ha are starting to at least mention this discussion of steps and maybe we need to do more research on it. Um, and I think a lot of that is thanks to our advisor, Professor Tudelock, um, and, and hopefully some of the work that we're doing now that can add to that. Nice. I'm oh, yeah. And also, um, as we were talking b about before, the explosion of wearable technologies like mm -hmm. Fitbits and Apple has made um, this conversation very prominent right now because the general public is adopting these devices and we need to inform now the recommendations that people can actually uh, look at when they're using their devices. Otherwise, the numbers are meaningless by themselves, but we, if we can attach some meaning to those numbers, help people to understand if they're reaching a certain amount of steps per day or a certain cadence level, um, then what, what health outcomes or what benefits might they expect when they perform those sorts of activities. And that is the research that our um, advisor, Professor Tudelock, has been doing for quite some time now. Yeah, I would, I would like, a, I don't have a Fitbit or anything like that. You might have been able to tell by the way I ask questions about how they <laughs> report things. But I feel like I would be more inclined to get one if it had like a reward system, <laughs> like, oh, you've walked enough steps to have a donut, or No, they. I, I just got mine like a couple of days ago. Some people pitched in and got me one, and I'm like, uh, you know. But then again, I see the benefit in it. You know, they're. They just give you like these little tags saying, you did this today. And it's like, oh, thank you. Watch that I really don't care much for. And I have <laughs> like, you know, a real sense of like, t you know, attachment with. But I mean, like, that's what I mean. That's another part too, like with mindfulness. Like I, I, I brought up earlier where 
it's like rewarding yourself. That's a whole different level. Like, you know, I, I believe if you're going to walk your 130 steps, walk your 100 steps, per, you know, per minute, right? Then, yeah, develop your own reward system so that can allow you to get in the game a little bit more to really put a lot of emphasis on your physical health. You know, I get my girlfriend to, to try to jump in and do something like that with her as well because, you know, she, we, we had a baby a while ago, but then again, it's just, you know, she lost a little weight, then it came back on, and it's just like, well, how do I get her to do something that isn't, like, so time-consuming, you know, mm -hmm. but yet still effective? And I think just this data alone, just, like, the basis of what you've told us, I think that's something that people could be interested in. And it's like, you know what, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, if you can't sit out a minute to just go outside and then just, you know, do that quick pacing or something like that, just for, like, there's, that, that says something about you as an individual. Like, that's got to say something about you upstairs, yeah. you know what I mean? I think also you touched on a good point there about the accessibility um, and ability of people to actually do walking activities. Mm -hmm. It is the most commonly reported form of exercise, and it's part of many activities of daily living, walking to your car, walking to the bus stop, walking around the grocery store. Um, so the vast majority of a population excluding people who might have disability um, everybody walks mm -hmm. and so communicating exercise and physical activity recommendations in terms of steps makes a lot of sense because it appeals and applies to the vast majority of the US population um, and it's there's low entry barriers everybody has a pair of shoes probably that they can put on and go for a walk that's mm -hmm. you know some other types of activities might require prior knowledge like how to lift weights or to play a particular sport you need some level of skill whereas everybody knows how to walk and so it's a really good activity to recommend to people and the other misconception is that walking is not uh, intense enough it's too simple of an activity to achieve benefits well mm. our research demonstrates that walking does allow you to achieve both moderate and vigorous intensity and that's what the guidelines recommend that we should be performing. So you don't necessarily need to be running down the road sweating buckets uh, to be achieving the right intensity to achieve health benefits. Yeah, you can just get out and go around your block, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Walk your dog is another great example. Um, that's, that's accumulating moderate to vigorous physical activity if you just take your dogs for a walk. Mm -hmm. And the simplicity in it by, um, like, walking to me is, I think, is such a broader term. You know, it's a very, like, walking. Well, well, what kind of walking? When you say steps, it's so specific. Mm -hmm. that, 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 that minor level of specificity, like, as comics, Laura, you know, it's like, for us, it's always about the uh, specifics. How do you make a specific connection to people that the joke or the idea, you know, travels in their brain and then they, they laugh, right? But with you guys saying walking, like, steps versus walking, that makes such a big difference. You know, taking these 100 steps. Now I'm cognizant of... Oh, I have to do this. So the simplicity in that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think what you guys are doing is, is great because um, there is major benefits in walking and major mm -hmm. benefit like in taking these steps, mm -hmm. you know, because I think with steps also people, when you think of steps again, it's like step one, step two. So it's like it just it, it, it manufactures something in people's brains. And I, and I find that interesting that you guys uh, were specific with steps. That's really cool. Mm, I like yeah. that. There's, um, I think, as Elroy touched upon earlier, how it's, there's a lot of different guidelines for, for how, to get to these, um, how to get to this intensity. And one of the things with walking that's been common has been to, you know, uh, so walk so that you can talk but you can't sing or, you know, something on uh, those lines. Yeah. And I've always tried to do that and I never <laughs> could figure out 
Like I can still, I can, I can't sing. Yeah, yeah. Then you're like, there's a lot of reasons why I can't sing. It has nothing to do with that fast I'm walking. Right. So that never, that never registered to me. But the idea of a step is pretty universal. Where you say, you know, if you're taking this step, and how many times you take it in a minute, then it just sort of hopefully, just we're trying to remove any barriers that people might have to not perform physical activity mm-hmm. and even with all the knowledge we have of the benefits of physical activity there's still we're still an obese nation you know there's still a lot of obesity throughout the world so it's it's still an issue that we're trying to, to tackle I feel like with all of the uh, the work you put in whether undergrad you know like um, just like uh, postgrad all that type of stuff I feel like now you guys and being at the ages that you guys are like you're finding your voice within what you're doing and how, how does that work out for you? Like, do you guys feel you're in the right place where you need to be as far as your development as, you know, I, and I say artists because I feel like what you guys are doing is, is artistry in and in, in a very, like, in the basic sense of it all. Because you're, you're putting something out there that's skillful, that not many people can do, and you're trying to do it at a very elite level to bring it out there for people to understand and know. So, like, my, my question is, like, how do you feel that you guys are growing as individuals within your field? Like, do you guys have that sense of love for what you do? Absolutely. I think one of the real indicators for um, researchers and academics is when you can publish an article in a peer-reviewed manuscript. That means that you've written something that is uh, worthy and has been peer-reviewed by other scientists and has reached a, a level that is sufficient for publication in a respected journal and that's a real sign that um, the research is strong that the ideas that are being put forward are valid and appropriate and relevant and have some meaning to, to, to contribute to the field so the moment when you're a PhD or a master's student when you publish your first paper it's kind of like yeah like I just made it yeah and mm. then you know every time you get a paper it's worthy of celebration because it's a lot of work that goes into like you know we've been collecting data for two years and we'll publish you know a couple of papers from that data set and each of them is worth like hundreds and maybe even thousands of hours worth of time to get one manuscript out there so that's really a sense of achievement and you kind of feel like you've made it um, I also think opportunities like this are really a really great thing where we've developed uh, knowledge um, over the you know the last 10 11 years of education and now we're at the point where we can actually contribute some of that knowledge to, so- to society to help uh, the wider population benefit from the information that we're developing in our careers and academic setting. Um, so we've done, you know, we're doing this interview, but we've also done other things, radio, newspaper articles, uh, website blogs, things like that, where you can actually give back to the community um, the information that you've been developing in your own research. That's that's really where you, you know you've reached a level when you can communicate and uh, help someone else out with the information that you're using in your research. Yeah, that's awesome. Nice. And then also from the ego perspective, um, <laughs> when you when you get something published, it's it's exciting. And then when you go to a conference and everybody has mm. name tags, someone will look at you and go, "Oh, I know who you are." So it makes you feel kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like something. the paper is maybe the equivalent of a comedian dropping an album. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's it's interesting because like I think about like everything you just said is like getting it out there for the public, for yeah. society to, to to take hold. Um, I just would, the only thing I would question is how do we go about doing this in a way that they can access and retain it? So people can take this information and ascertain it in a way that's Mm -hmm. best for them because everything's so quick nowadays, you know? Well, you'll retain it. Well, and that's what's really great about the simplicity of what you're ultimately coming out with is like 
something accessible and rememberable and absolutely rememberable. I don't know if that's a word. And you know what? The, the greatest <laughs> challenge that we have in America right now is trying to communicate and to get people to actually perform physical activity. Mm -hmm. um, physical activity rates are much lower than what the country would where it should be. Mm -hmm. um, I think the most recent estimates, if you look at self-report, might be at around about 50% of the population would achieve um, physical activity guidelines. If you look at objective measures of physical activity, it might even be as low as like five or 10% wow. reaching physical activity guidelines. So we need to promote physical activity. We, people need to understand these messages, but as you identified, people have such short attention spans mm -hmm. and uh, it's difficult for people to self-motivate or for other people even to motivate individuals to perform physical activity um, to meet minimal guidelines that, we, that the national government would set. And so it's a great question and it's very challenging and we're always thinking about ways that we can encourage and promote people and make it easier for people to actually achieve uh, and maintain physical activity patterns because we know it has such great benefits for our health. The challenge is getting people to actually do it. And that's like the magic bullet. If we could figure that out, we would have done it already. Right, But it's right. really hard to motivate people to do that. Totally. I, I definitely agree. I mean, it sounds like physical, you know, physical activity needs a, needs a PR guy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just you got to trick absolutely. people. Yeah. That's why I brought up the rewards. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> something that makes me feel excited to get it, you know, like a milestone. or yeah. Right. And I think, like, you bringing that up is, is what really, and again, with the correlation with the brain, like, that's not a far-fetched idea. That's actually mm -hmm. very, some, that's very pivotal in mm -hmm the growth and development of an individual's physical health because if people go in there thinking like oh i gotta do this tomorrow you know like yeah. then they're not gonna they're not gonna want to do it yeah but you gotta if, want it right but if they were to sort of dangle a carrot over their heads <laughs> all right and then be able to motivate themselves with that it's okay to reward yourself and yeah. be and be comfortable with doing that. that's the one thing i learned from all my group therapy sessions that i've been in <laughs> i've just like they, they do this thing right like on Fridays, they would have this over the weekend thing. Like, what map out your weekend, right? And then at the end of the weekend, when you accomplish all that you've done, what are you going to reward yourself with? Mm. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then I started attributing that to, you know, any other time, and it was great. Like when I did this, I, I did had this piece written about me in the Hartford Current, and I'm like, man, I'm gonna go up to Bishops, I'm gonna go to NoHo, I'm gonna go ahead and, and get me a victory bear, and then just chill out, watch a little bit of comedy, and perform. Nice. And then I felt better the next day. Nice. And then I was back at it. Mm -hmm. You know, like that'll be a good thing, too. I was going to say, I think that's, um, you know, when you look at certain people who exercise habitually and certain people who don't, part of it might be that the people who exercise often, it's because they get that reward. They feel so mm -hmm. much better afterwards. And the challenge mm -hmm. is getting people to that point where they do it enough where they, they don't feel like, oh, I have to exercise. They think, oh, I get to spend the next 30 minutes and I'm going to feel way better afterwards, mentally, physically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's getting over that hump. Yeah, once yeah. you start to actually feel those physical rewards too that you get, yeah. like reduced anxiety and all of those mm -hmm. things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, we, we end the show with a game that I created called GTA, guess that acronym. Guess, guess that, that acronym. acronym. Um, oh, and oh, so what okay. we do for this game is, Rob, uh, I'm going to make you try to guess what some acronyms provided by our guests mean. Uh, don't worry, you're not supposed to know what they mean. Uh, the purpose of this game 
<laughs> Are you okay? I'm good. I'm, just, a moment I'm, I'm, to focus. I'm trying to get in my zone. Focus All right, go it. ahead. Okay. Uh, the point of this game yeah. is that uh, <laughs> exactly. is that uh, in subfields in science, people use a lot of acronyms, um, and it can kind of make those fields feel inaccessible. So I kind of want to break down what are these acronyms people are talking about. Oh man. <laughs> okay. So your first acronym. Do you want a piece of paper or anything? No, no, okay, let's roll. Okay. Is MVPA. Ooh. Ooh. MVPA. All right. And they're all represented by one word, right? Or is it just... Yeah, each letter is the beginning word. of a word, yeah. Okay, and this is in your field. And mm -hmm. this is in their field, yeah. They, I don't like they how provided you it. See, they're looking at me like, <laughs> like, go ahead, say it. Say it, funny guy. No, um, <laughs> motivational, vigorous, physical activity. Nice. That's pretty good. That was actually not too bad. You got word. three out of four words. Word, yeah. <laughs> 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 Do you want to let them know what it is? So it, it does stand for moderate to vigorous phys physical activity. Nice. Uh, we dropped that one a few times today, so <laughs> it might have been filtering in there. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 yeah. Pay, I pay attention. Yeah. I pay attention, kind of. <laughs> I don't know what the next one's going to be, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, the next one is METs. So it's like MET and then there's lower, like an S, like for plural at the end. So really. METs. METs. And they're all three, they're all represented by one word, right? You know what? Actually, this one. You could just say Mets too. Mets. So it's usually the common way. Okay, ah. so actually, this one it's not. This one's tricky actually because it's not. It's I'm not, looking at it's it. It's not each letter represents yeah. the first. Yeah. So it's so this it's. This one might be too tricky. To no, no. It, it, so it's one word. Okay. There's mm -hmm. two words. Two words. Oh. So one starts with M and the other one starts with E. And ends with a T. Oh, okay, <laughs> ends with a T. Oh, Missy. Oh one's man. The, yeah, this is a Oh, is it moderate exertion? Ooh. No, mm -hmm. moderate. Dang, what what is it? Oh, like, okay, moderate. Uh, and again, it's with a T. Moderate. It, oh, it's got to be like external. I don't know what is it. You know, you want to jump so in? So that one is metabolic equivalent. Ah, <laughs> I had that one. <laughs> I know that was. I knew it was something because I, I was thinking it had to do something like equal or something. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, see, you were, close. you were there. So, yeah. so what is a metabolic equivalent? So essentially, it's a way of reporting. Um, the uh, or <laughs> so it's a way of energy expenditure from the perspective of relative to your basal metabolism. So if you're oh. just the way we're all sitting here now, we're basically ex expending one met or one metabolic equivalent. Oh. And to get to moderate intensity, you would want to be three times that. So um, three times as much talking. No. <laughs> <laughs> three times as okay. much sitting doesn't really work. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, but as much exertion. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I okay. Put myself all in the seat. No, uh, <laughs> Okay, here we got a really long one. Oh, Lord. It's, it, this one came up too, though. It's NIH-NIA. Maybe we should split it up into two. Let's just do NIH. NIH. No, NIH, normal, intense. H, 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 H. Oh, man. Um, all right, now what is it? What is it? What is it? So NIH is the National Institutes of Health. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> so they are funding your research, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So then, then you've got you've got to jump on the next one. NIA. National Institute of America. <laughs> yes. Man, no, just was, everything. Yeah, of all of it. No, what is it? Oh, this is this is a fun game. What is it? So that's the National Institute on Aging. Aging. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Are they part? Of, are they one organization, or is that two separate? The NIA is within the National Institutes of Health, oh, so there okay. are several institutes. Oh. Of health. And our research, in particular, because it's focused on 
uh, cadence and intensity across the lifespan, we had submitted this grant to the NIA, the National Institute on Aging, and that research is relevant to you know, the aging process and yeah. how that affects health, and so that they were interested in funding this work. Oh, nice. I, I apologize to all those people out there who <laughs> age. I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be everyone, yeah, I think. Somebody be offended As far as I know. It. I'm aging. Why are you, why are you letting me say that? No, that's funny. Cool. Well, that's all our acronyms. Oh, man. I was, okay. This. You, was, well, we have another one, but again, this one doesn't exactly, I don't know if it is guessable. VO2 max. Do you guys want to talk about you that? There are words for the V and O. Oh, okay. Oh, what do they stand for? Was oh, it? should I tell you? Should we yeah. Vertical okay. omitting. <laughs> what is oh. what? Go ahead. I'm, I'm so VO2 max is, is maximal oxygen uptake, or volume of oxygen. That's VO2. Oh, okay. um, it has to do with how much oxygen you can take in with your lungs and get to your blood and send throughout your body. Mm. And so the more fit you are, the more oxygen you can take in, essentially, oh. and use for energy. Oh, man, is it kind of similar to lung capacity, or is it kind of different? If I, I actually don't know. If you have a higher lung capacity, you probably can take in more oxygen, but it also has to do with how well your heart can pump it, how strong your heart is to be able to uh, pump it throughout so the system. So there's, out, there's people out there just, just taking extra air? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, Greedy. Oh, like, yeah, just like... Well, like uh, <laughs> so when you, when you train for a, for a particular sport or you do an exercise program, yeah. you improve your what's called aerobic capacity. That's the ability of your body to consume air and the oxygen that's in that air and deliver it to muscle and utilize that oxygen to produce energy to fuel your muscles to do some activity. So someone who is an elite level cyclist, for example, might have a VO2 max of like 80 or 90 mil, mils of oxygen per kilogram of body weight per minute of delivery of oxygen to their muscles. So it's pretty technical, but someone who's not fit might have a VO2 max of 30, which means that they aren't able to deliver as much oxygen to their muscles to f use as energy or to convert as energy for fuel. Could you uh, like guess our VO2 max by just looking at us or is that not how it works? <laughs> Probably be in a ballpark. That's my guess, but I don't know how accurate You're like, I don't you, want to do that. That would be weird. You don't run a lot before. So. I've had three collapsed lungs in three years, so no. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a condition called spontaneous pneumothorax. Oh. And the second time I had major, major surgery done on it. Oh, so wow. when the weather changes, oh, it's like, <laughs> like, so I can't, I'm basically, I'm, I'm one of the frugal ones with air. Mm -hmm. Or I'm not <laughs> taking it for everybody else. See, I'm, I, you know, I'm recycling air, everybody. <laughs> cool. So. Well, I know you need to get going. Yeah, I have to um, leave. Let's, like, dope, let's wrap man. it up. This was a really great show. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Elroy and Scott and Rob. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us. It's really nice. It's a pleasure to be here. Cool. cool. Thanks. All right. Dude, you guys are great. The jingle at the beginning of our show was written and produced by Matt Woodland. Please check out Lab Talk with Laura on Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Let us know what you like, what you want to hear more of, or if you do some research and you want to come on the show and tell us about it, hit me up. Uh, online hosting of Lab Talk with Laura is supported by the Emmerich Labs in the Polymer Science Department. Thank you so much for listening. Please stick around for WMUA News coming right up.